I came uh, last night when our school of worship team that's leading us this morning, um, and they were coming for practice, and they were leading here on the platform, and they're running all the production stuff upstairs, and uh, just encourage them, but also challenge them. But I also want us to hear and learn from their example. One of the things I said to them was, I came to Christ when I was just about 11 years of age. And one of the first things I was taught was the importance of serving. And so at 11 years old, I started serving actively. The youngest one on that team sitting up there is 11 years old. And so no matter what stage you are in life, understand the value, the joy that comes from serving. We're never saved to just sit and do nothing. God has given us gifts and he invites us to use them. So learn from the example of our young people. Let's pray together before we look into God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word. We would pray now that as we look to it, that you would speak to us as only you can. We invite your touch and just your transformative work in our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. At the end of this service, we are going to give you an opportunity to come and to be prayed for. And this is something we do two or three times a year. We have healing services. It's something we do um, just informally, kind of on a week-by-week basis, sometimes day-by-day. We pray for people and pray for the needs in their life. But we do it more formally in a setting like this two or three times a year. And the thing we've been saying for the last couple of weeks is to just be preparing your heart saying, Lord, um, what do I need from you? And just allowing him to speak into our life. What do we need from God? What would we long for Jesus to do in our life? And then to come and to just to be prayed for at the service end. And, and it can be anything. It could be healing that you have a physical need for, or an emotional or spiritual one. We're going to see that clearly on display in our passage today. It could be you've lost your job. It could be that you want to come on behalf of someone. We would be honored to pray for you. And there are so many scriptural invitations to, to do this. And over the years, we've looked at a number of them, and we're going to look at another one today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter is found over there towards the end of the 66 books of the Bible. And uh, we've been spending, this is the eighth of eight sermons in the book of 1 Peter. And we've been moving deliberately together through this scripture. And today, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Peter is writing... And he says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power 
forever and ever. Amen. So when we come with what we need to God, who does the healing? Very important to get this firmly in mind. Who meets the need that's sort of pulsating in our inner being? Is it some person on TV? Is it the pastor? Is it the elders? Is it you summoning up just enough faith so that it can happen? It's very clear in this passage that it's not some personality on TV. It's not the pastor. It's not the elders. It's not some special words. It's not some person that has mustered just enough faith. It's God and him alone who meets the need we have in our life. That he's the only source of healing. Very clear in the passage. Now it's also true that God often works through people. And he will give people gifting in this area. And there's a number of people in our church that have gifting in this area. And these are supernatural giftings in nature. But ultimately, and it's very important to keep this in mind, ultimately he's in charge. Ultimately he is the source. He is the one who gives out the gifts. He decides who gets them. He decides how they're used and when they're used. There's a number of stories, and over the years we've looked at many of them in Scripture, where God will heal or not heal at this time or at another time. He will often, if you read these stories, <coughs> heal in very unexpected ways where people are going, well, I, he's never done something like that that way. Why did he do it that way? He, he remains in charge. Very clear from the scripture. He's the source. He decides how. He decides when. And this passage will reinforce this overall idea. And it emerges very clearly from the passage that God decides when. He decides how. We're to be healed and what that's going to look like. We see this, in, for example, in verses 7 and 10. We're told that he will lift us up in due time. It's his timeline. It says in verse 10, after a little while. And the exact nature of how long that's going to be is not delineated. It's left up to God. And he will make us, it's, we're told, after a little while in verse 10, strong and firm and steadfast. So what's the basis, just theologically, of this healing? How is this, how is this provided? If you have your Bible, turn with me book, back to the book of Isaiah, which is found basically in the middle of your Bible, a little bit to the middle, right of the middle. Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to read a prophetic promise about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And then we're going to use another passage to help shed light on what this passage is saying. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3 through 6. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 8. And we know in that Isaiah passage that he's absolutely talking about providing uh, through his work on the cross healing for our sin. But he's also talking there about healing for physical needs and spiritual needs that we have. And we're going to see this illuminated in Matthew chapter 8. And this is one of the ways, the proper way to interpret scripture. You use scripture to interpret scripture. It helps shed, one passage sheds light on the other. So this Matthew passage, Matthew 8, 14 to 17, references the Isaiah passage. Just listen. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So she has a physical ailment. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on them. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. He's healing people physically. He's healing people spiritually. Then it says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he's going to quote from that Isaiah passage. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. And so Jesus had his body broken. He had his blood shed and his atoning work provided for our spiritual and physical entire healing, body, soul, and spirit. And so it follows, if you think about this, if there are some physical things that he can't or won't heal, then it follows that there are some sins that he can't or won't heal. And of course, we know that's not the case. He is able and and available and wanting to heal and forgive and apply grace to any sin that's committed. This is his desire. When it comes to healing, sometimes he does it, and I've seen this many times in my life. I've seen this in this church. Sometimes he just does it supernaturally right in the moment. Sometimes he does it supernaturally over a period of time. Many times he does it in ways we don't expect, as I said earlier. Most often he does it through the good gift of medical science that foundationally, that's why we talked at the beginning about God being the source of all healing. He provides the, the, the crude elements to develop medicines, the ability to learn and properly apply, apply medical science. And so medicine and medical personnel are a good gift from God. And this is the way he most often does it. But not the only way. Sometimes the healing only comes, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, at the resurrection, when we're given imperishable, immortal bodies. But ultimately, just like with sin, he always heals. He decides how, he decides when. What is my part in all of this? Our first Peter passage begins to lay that out for us. The first thing it says in verse 6 is, humble yourself. Humble yourself. When I want to come to God and invite him to do something in my life, the first posture I need to assume is that of humbleness, which means literally to make oneself low. Scripture carries this idea of death to self, and <laughs> this is an important idea because it flies in the face of our culture so much. 
I think this is why so many people are coming up with all kinds of, you know, elaborate ideas about why there is no God. Because they ultimately, and I think the deep motivation behind this is, they do not want and do not like the idea that one day they will answer to someone outside themselves. And so we come up with all these wide, uh, wild ideas about why there's no God. And the heart of it is because I don't want to die to self. I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to admit that I need help, desperate help, from someone outside of myself. Because it takes incredible courage. It, keeps, it, it takes humbleness, uh, uh, making myself low to admit that I need help. And we don't like to do that. To admit my personal need to God and then to invite the family of God because God often works through the family of God to help meet that need. We don't like to admit that. And that's why Peter says the first step in all this is for me to be humble. For me to make myself low. For me to uh, 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 take this posture of death to self. Then he says, step number two comes here in verse six. He says, cast all, cast all. And this is a powerful image. Um, The word cast there, the Greek word, is the same Greek word that's used when Jesus is approaching Israel at the Passion Week. He's getting ready to ride into Israel, uh, into Jerusalem, sorry. And and they all want him to get on a white stallion because this is a political statement. But he's not coming as a political king. He's coming as a self-sacrificing king. And so he says, no, no, get me a donkey. And the Greek word used cast here is the image of the disciples taking a blanket. And if you've ever put a blanket on a horse, you kind of take it and you kind of got to throw it up and kind of all in lay this blanket on the horse, on the donkey or on the horse. In this case, on the donkey. And so it's meaning you, comp- you, you, you do it completely. You cast the blanket on. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, don't hold back. Cast it all onto God. I hold nothing back at all because I believe fundamentally he cares about all of this. And you know, this is very hard for us. To be thoroughly honest and all in with God. To be absolutely forthright about what we need and what we're grappling with. Because we don't like to admit that we're weak. We don't like to admit that we need help. And so he says, don't hold back. Lay it all down before me. Lay it all down. Cast all of it. Come humbly. And if you come to be prayed for this morning, as we've talked about and referenced in the last couple of weeks, we're going to ask a question like this. What do you need from God? What are you longing for Jesus to do in your life? Peter says in in verse 7, to cast all your anxiety on him. What are the things you're worried about? What are the things that are stirring in your life? 
cast it all on him. He doesn't define exactly the nature of those anxieties. I think, and, and all of what it encompasses, I think it's, it's safe to assume that he's referencing the suffering that has gone on, and, and this is the context of what he's writing in 64 to 68 AD. There's uh, 68 AD in that range there. There's intense suffering for the church. And so I'm virtually certain he's referencing this suffering, but he doesn't seem to limit it to that in the passage. And so it could easily embrace all the difficulties a believer might face. And so Peter is saying, listen, I just encourage you, be honest with God. Cast it all on him. Don't hold anything back. And here's a little secret. We're told in Psalm 139 that he's omniscient. He knows everything. And so this little secret that we think we're keeping from everybody and from God himself, he already knows. In fact, I'm going to go out and say this. He knows more about it than you do. Because he knows everything. He forgets nothing. Not capable of it. And so, as hard as it is, he's just saying, be honest with God. Be honest what you really need. Come humbly. Cast it all on him. And the, the reality is, is that He's forming this image of being a moldable person in this passage. God likes to work with humble, moldable people. And we talked about that last week in chapter 5, in the earlier part of chapter 5, verse 2. Let me just reference that again. And that passage is speaking about elders, and it says, be sh but it's really applicable in a very generalized sense to us. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, it says in verse 2, serving as overseers. Now, here's the part I'm referencing. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. He likes to work with humble, willing, moldable people. And so as you come, let me just tell you, part of what he might be wanting to address is if there's an area of your life of unconfessed sin. I don't know if that'll be the case, but he just might. Because that can be one of the reasons, listen to me carefully, not the only reason, we know this very clearly from Bible, but it can be one of the reasons that we're sick or there's a problem. And it, so it may well be that in this encounter, he'll identify this. And the reason he does this is because he loves you he cares for you, and he wants what's best for you. So that can be one of the reasons. He wants us to come to the place where we repent of that. He'll help us do that. Admit it, ask for forgiveness, and then repent literally means I'm going in this direction, and he will help us turn and go in the other direction. This is what he wants for us. So that could be part of the experience. may not be, but it could be. When we're coming to be prayed for, we have these postures I've been talking about. Um, Peter also says, as you come, as we're coming, say, I believe he cares for me. We see this in verse 7. Um, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Perhaps the best illustration of this is the incarnation itself. The fact that Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2 says, took on 
human flesh, and in a way we can't really understand, he became the Spirit-filled God-man, 100% God and 100% man. They're not mixed together. They're two dual uh, natures in one person. And we, our mind kind of trips over that. We can't figure it out. But this is what Scripture teaches. And this is this graphic illustration that he cares for us. He came, he was tempted in every way. We were tempted as a man and yet was without sin. We read that Isaiah passage, 53 people despised him. They mocked him. He suffered. All of these things he did so that he can connect with us. And he did these things because he cares for you. And, and, and the thing that's cool is sometimes we look at stuff like this and we go, well, yeah, Jesus cares for all the masses and the billions of people that have lived and the seven or so billion people that live on the planet right now. No, this passage is very personal. Cast all your, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that means you can put your own name right there. You, I, I could legitimately go, cast all... Scott, go ahead and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for Scott. He cares for you. Let me illustrate that to you. Just If I was to read to you from Matthew chapter 10, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If I was to read Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, just here's how intimately he cares for you. It says, in, Jesus is speaking, and it says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This, this passage is saying, you matter to God. You matter to God. You matter. As we come, we're also saying, I accept your plan, God. It says that I referenced this earlier in verses 7 and 10. It says in verse 7, in due time this will take place. And then it says in verse 10, in a little while. So, I don't know about you, and I'm... I'm you know, I think as I'm growing in my faith, I don't do this nearly as much as I might have earlier, but sometimes I still do, can I be honest with you? When there's an issue in my life that I need God's touch in, you know, sometimes I just have it all figured out in my head. I have it all mapped out, and I know exactly what God has to do, and I know exactly the timeline I want him to adhere to. But Peter is saying, in coming humbly, I surrender all those things. I surrender the how, I surrender the when. And I say, it's all up to you, Lord. So, no, you know, quite normally, um, uh, these issues that come up in our life certainly have a basis in the natural world, but also more times than we might know. It's very clear from verse 8 that the attack can be coming from the spiritual unseen world that's going on around us right now. And that can be a very livid or vivid factor. 
that's why he says in verse 8, understand that Satan, the evil one, is like a lion roaming around looking for who he can devour. And so if we think of a, of a lion in its natural setting in, you know, in some country in, in, in Africa or something like that, um, when do, who do they normally attack? They attack the young, they attack the stragglers, they attack your sick, they attack those that are alone, they attack those typically that are not alert. And so the evil one practices these techniques as well, seeking who he might devour. Now, verse 9 says, don't run away, don't be afraid, and instead it says, resist the evil one. Stand firm in the faith. Exact same wording that we see in James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the evil one. We see in Ephesians chapter 6, let me read those verses to you. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 11 through 13, I'll get there eventually. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and after you have done everything, you are able to stand. I also want to read from Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, because this clearly illustrates as well. We win. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We win. When we're battling against the seen or unseen world. Listen to these verses. Then John is writing here and he writes, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. And here's why. He's going to say, And the authority of his Christ. It's not some TV personality. It's not the pastor, it's not the elders, it's not if I have enough faith or not, it's not if I use these special words, it's all based on Jesus. We come in Jesus' name. When we have this time of healing, we will pray in Jesus' name. We will pray on the basis of the fact that his blood was shed for us, that he went to the cross when he didn't have to, that all of our sin and all of our issues were laid on him. And he conquered sin and death when he rose from the dead. And then he ascended 40 days after that to sit at the right hand of the Father. The rest of the verses, it says, And the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brothers, that's referring to Satan, for the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. We win. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So he's saying, listen, it, it may be tough. You might even die for the name of Christ. But ultimately, we win. We win. So what's your need? I've, done, I've preached on this many times in my life. I said in the first service, you know, I've said this before. I, I've read everything the Bible has to say about this many, many times. I've read a lot of books on it. I've written papers on it. I've marked other people's papers that have written on it. And it's still a bit of a mystery to me. But there's a few things I know. You've heard some of them today. 
I also know this, it's good to ask. We never demand, we never wide the Bible at God and say, you have to do this. But we come boldly, we come humbly, we come in faith. All of these things are at play as we come. It's good to ask. And God will decide yes, he will decide no, he will decide wait a while, he will decide if it's at the resurrection. I know this, it's good to ask. So as I've said, we do these services two or three times a year, and it's our custom to have someone come and just share their story. And everybody's story is just a little bit different about how God has worked in their life in this area. And so I'm going to ask Chelsea to come. Uh, She's been up here once already today, but I heard her story here not long ago. And I'd like you to hear uh, just a bit of her story and her experience with God. Hello again. So summer of 2013, um, my youth group had gone to inner city Chicago um, to do some uh, helping out with like um, on the homeless and um, in uh, the men's shelters and other other things. Um, so the one night we had gone to a men's shelter and I had spent um, the night talking to this one guy who um, had dealt with, you know, how, how God continued to, to love and to care for him and his family, um, even through a lot of the hard stuff they'd been through and how obviously he's in the, in the, um, men's shelter and stuff. So it's not easy, but he was continually faithful. Um, but so through that, um, I was, um, you know, pleased that he told me his story and stuff. And, uh, and then our um, youth pastor called us over to um, to kind of round us up and get us out of there um, for the night. So I start heading towards the group, and as I'm um, kind of like coming coming in the in the group again, I notice the whole room just kind of flips around, and um, and the girl next to me thankfully caught me as I was falling down, and. Um, and yeah, I basically was completely without energy, um, completely weak, uh, trembling, shaking. I was unable to breathe. Um, I couldn't respond. I was conscious and could see and hear, but I was unable to communicate. And um, and like I said, w- absolutely no energy. Couldn't sit up in a chair, couldn't hold a glass of water. Um, and they weren't sure what was going on, but they thought, um, you know, if this continues to worsen, then we'll call the ambulance and, you know, get her checked out. Um, but because the other group was still trying to finish up the night, um, they just had me go off with one of the leaders and um, just sat with me in the car, kind of put the heat on and put some music on to um, to help and... Um, and then he just asked if he could if he could pray for me. Of course, I couldn't respond, but he <laughs> just went ahead and did so. Um, but yeah, I don't remember exactly all the words that he said, but I do remember in the middle of it, he had mentioned, um, Father God, um, let it be your will that Chelsea be healed in your name, in the name of Jesus. And as soon as um, the words Jesus... Um, I felt it starting from my core, and the weakness um, was 
flowing out like fluid, like it was, yeah, it was like liquid that was um, kind of exiting out through my hands and feet and and just the outward of my body. And um, and again, like my, my breathing was starting to slow down um, or to, uh, I was able to breathe better. And, um, and then by the end of the prayer, he said, amen. And it was just this washing, <laughs> like complete peace and, um, and just an ultimate, um, just, yeah, just this um, clear sense. And, um, and then I just remember he kind of looked at me and he's like, so are you okay? And I mentioned, yeah, I'm okay. And again, he's shocked that I'm even talking. And, um, and then uh, the lyrics, um, our God is an awesome God, came just at cue. And we both just started crying, <laughs> and um, obviously in thanksgiving. But um, the big part of it, too, was that I was at a moment in my life. I had, um, before going on the trip and during, I was dealing with um, feelings of feeling distant from God and feeling that um, that he was there but wasn't really listening to me. And maybe the prayers that I was asking weren't being heard and so um, that was just such, um, it was such an encouragement to know that God, that was God showing me that he really, truly cared about me and loved me and, you know, that I am his child, you know, and he, he does listen. Um, so, yeah, um, so that's kind of what happened. And um, just something else I wanted to quickly share um, uh, this morning, um, the verse of the day on my Bible app that I look at every day, um, it just happened to be um, Philippians 4, verse 6, which says, um, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So everybody's story is different. Your story will probably not be exactly like hers. He may say to you, you need to wait for a while. Just bear in mind that he cares for you. So what do you need from God? Remember that as you ask him for this, it will always line up with the scriptures. It will never be divorced from the scripture in any sense. It will always be done with the desire to bring honor and praise to God. And it will always be done with these two key ideas that he decides how and he decides when. So how does this work this morning? As the service concludes here in just a moment, uh, there'll be some music that will come on, just background music. And there's going to be four stations, one at each corner here at the front and then in each corner in the back. So four stations you can go. It doesn't matter which one you go to. Because remember, it's not about some person. It's about what Jesus wants to do in your life. Come one at a time. Um, and so in a sense, you're coming in a public setting, but you're also coming privately because nobody else will be able to hear what's going on because of the music and so forth. But if it's not your turn, just hang back a little bit so that it is private. I would invite you, if you see a family with little kids, maybe let them go first just so that we can be sensitive to the children. Um, in our kids' zone area, the leaders there um, will look after your kids for a while. If, you, if you're here and they're in there, they've been prepped with that. Um, 
for the, for the rest of the congregation, you're welcome to stay if you're not coming forward. Um, if you do stay, I just invite you to stay and pray for the people that are praying, for the people that are being prayed for. Even if you don't know their names, God knows their names. So pray for what God is doing in that situation. If you're ready to leave, that's just fine. But just we're going to ask you to visit out in the lobby. And they'll close the doors as the service, as people are exiting and stuff like that. You can come for physical or emotional or spiritual healing. You can come saying, you know, uh, Pastor, my, my kid is not following Jesus. Would you pray for my child? We'd be honored to pray for that or any other need that you have. This, this action is biblically based in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, where we're told to come if we're having trouble or if we're sick and uh, to be that the leadership would pray for you. And so when you come, what you are indicating is you're saying, I'm prepared to receive whatever God chooses to give me. So the people in the little group will pray, asking, they'll say, what do you need us to pray for? They may have some other questions so they can pray as specifically as possible. We will pray in faith and yet humbly. We will pray boldly but looking to God to touch your life. So I'm going to pray now, and as I'm doing that, I'll let you go ahead and start setting up those sections, and then our people will put some music on, and we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, as we bow in your presence one more time, we thank you so much for your love for us and what you want to do. I pray for those that are here today and Maybe some of them are debating, should I go? Lord, let them have the courage to just come and say, help, Lord, help. We pray for those that are going to be involved in praying. Would you just give them a fresh anointing of your spirit? May they operate in their gifts that you have given them under your leadership and direction. And Father, as we go, may Jesus be seen in us, in every part of our life, in a way that reflects you well but in a way that brings praise to you, whatever it is we're doing. So we pray these things and we ask them now. In Jesus' precious name we pray.